usually it's children spilling things, but uh, you know, if it's not starting forest fires, it's spilling coffee, Pat. What's going on over here? Anyway, the, the most responsible of us can spill our coffee still. So anyway, we're back in James today. Grab your Bible, make your way over to James. Uh, and it's important. I know we're pretty deep into James, but it's important that you really understand what it is we've been studying. And, and so I want to take a minute and just I want you to imagine a small community of believers who are facing all sorts of trials, all sorts of suffering. In the midst of these difficult times, this letter arrives from this beloved leader of theirs in the church. And, and, and so with heavy hearts, they all gather together. Uh, of course, someone brings snacks, someone always brings snacks, and then someone else is going to stand up and they're going to read this letter out to the congregation in the hopes of encouraging them, uh, this Holy Spirit-inspired letter through James. And, and, and after the short greeting, right, they hear this, the craziest thing in James' letter. I don't know if you remember all the way back to when we first got started, right? But he says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Right? That's the first thing they hear. It's not these will go away, right? It's counted all joy when you face these trials. And, and then James goes on challenging them, and, and you and I today, right, to, to not just hear, but to actually do the Word of God. Uh, he calls them out for showing favoritism to the wealthy. He, he says just claiming that you have faith without observable good works as the fruit of that faith, right, is, a, you know, is no genuine faith at all. He, he, he challenges us to tame our tongues. He challenges us to seek Wisdom that's from above, not worldly wisdom. He, he reminds us not to embrace worldliness, but to love God wholly. He condemns our, our pride and our boasting about tomorrow. And he prophetically, as we saw two weeks ago, uh, you know, condemns the wealthy who take advantage of those that, the, that they employ, the poor they employ. And today we see James carried along by the Holy Spirit um, give primarily one simple command to this small, discouraged community of Christians, just one, and, and to you and, and, and me as well, as we face our own suffering, our own challenges in life, our, our own frustrations, our own discouragements in this world that is groaning under the curse of sin. And, and what exactly does James give? What's his command? It's be patient. Of course, he says quite a bit more than that. There are other imperatives in this passage in regards to what that actually looks like to be patient. We're going to look at that, but, but it really is that simple if you really want to bring it down to one aspect, to be patient. And, and maybe you hear that and you think, I don't think I want patience. And if you say that, it's because you've lived long enough to know perfectly well that patience grows in the soil of suffering. That it grows in the field of frustration, it grows in the days of disappointment, it grows in, in all those things in life that we want nothing to do with, right? Don't give me patience. I don't want patience. Give me pleasure. Give me ease. Give me comfort. Um, so that's where we're going. What do you say we, we read the passage and, and remember, uh, again, this is immediately after, after James's warning uh, to the rich who have been oppressing the poor. Uh, many of those poor are, are those whom are sitting amongst the people that this letter is being written to uh, in, in James's day. So we're going to begin in verse 7 of chapter 5 of James. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the, pr for the precious fruit of the, of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The grass withers, the flower fades. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humble hearts, seeking your grace and your guidance as we meditate together on your word in James 5 this morning. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds to understand this passage uh, not just intellectually, but to internalize it, to believe it, to apply it. Uh, we ask that through your word, that you would form us ever more into your likeness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So James is certainly here addressing the particular suffering of the poor that we saw last time, but, but he's also speaking in the broader sense to the suffering and the frustrations that we all face in life, that are all over it. Now, I, I may not know what your particular frustrations or sufferings are right now, but I'm fairly certain that there is indeed something of some level. And, and if not, though I wish it weren't so, it's certainly going to come in your life. And so I'll ask the, the question, right, just to get our minds thinking on the right direction. What is it that, that you are waiting for right now? Maybe even frustratedly waiting for Maybe something like your, your next army station or for your kids to be old enough to leave at home or old enough that they can drive away from home to practice on their own. Maybe you're waiting for God to give you a spouse or a child or to return your spouse from deployment. Maybe you're waiting for your, your marriage to improve or for the pain of a broken relationship to, to begin to heal or fully heal. Maybe you're waiting for your next promotion or graduation or, or for some work project that seems to go on forever to finally be complete. Maybe you're just waiting for some chronic health issue to improve or just for your body to, to simply heal from something that it's going through. Many of you know my, my neighbor Stacy, and I, she doesn't mind that I share this, um, re recently had a brain tumor removed about the size of a cue ball, they say, from the front of her head. And, 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 and she keeps running this problem of she just wants to be healed immediately. And her doctors and her husband, right, keep telling her, Stacy, you've just had brain surgery. You've got to let your brain, your body heal. It's not, it doesn't happen just like that. And, and that's part of the frustration that things just don't go the way we want or as fast as we want. We find nobody has time for patience. And that's particularly true when we are suffering in pain, whether we're talking emotional or, or physical pain. Now, now, given the context of the, the wealthy tyrants here oppressing the poor, it's, it's interesting that James doesn't call for a revolution here. You kind of expect that in our day and age. He actually calls for patience. And I don't even know if we like that, right? Viva la patience. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Uh, now, you, you might notice that each time James commands this patience, he, he points to what exactly it is we are waiting for. I see it in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And again in verse 8, be patient, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And, and again in verse 9, look how James says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Right? A picture of Jesus coming soon. Uh, standing at the door. 
And I just said it, right? A picture of Jesus coming soon. And I think it perplexes us when we hear that, that Jesus is standing at the door because we get this idea, oh, he's going to enter in any second, any moment, any, like, immediately. And, and, and then we look at this and you think, oh, so Jesus has been standing at the door for 2,000 years and hasn't entered in? Just come in already. It, it, it feels like... Uh, Honestly, when, when I was a, a kid and my dad would stand behind the couch, I don't know if other dads have done this, but uh, watching TV, just standing there on his way to go do something else, and he would stay there like, Dad, just sit down and watch TV with us. And he would just stand there instead of coming in. Now, if, if, if we're honest, the, the return of the Lord feels like an incredibly long time to us, particularly when we are feeling the pains and the frustrations of life, Right? Uh, at least by our understanding of time. And, and part of that is, is you and I, we've just got to be honest, we don't have a good sense of eternity. We don't have a good sense of time in, in that regard. We're, we're a little like children at the beginning of you know, the start of a long car ride, right? And you're 15 minutes in and already asking, are we there yet? We've been driving forever. No, we're good. we just started, right? We're just getting going. And reading 2 Peter 3, 3 and 8, right? Or 3, just 8. Uh, that to, to God, a thousand years as one day. And you're like, okay, this is beginning to make a little more sense. And until you do the math, uh, I won't make Caleb do the math. He's not even back there right now. Uh, right? And you realize that for God, that, that, that's only two days since the resurrection, if we're to like take that incredibly literally, right? And so when will Jesus return? And, and here's the answer. I don't know. You don't know. That, that's exactly what, what Jesus says, right? Matthew 24, 36, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And that's part of our frustration is we don't know. It could come any day. No, no one expected 9-11 to occur even when they woke up that morning. You know, for those of you that aren't ancient like I am, or you, none of you expected COVID to shut down our nation a few years back. I know some of you are like, yeah, we saw it coming from China. You didn't know it was going to China, though, right? It, it sounded like a, a science fiction you know, plot before it actually happened. It didn't seem real at all. The, the return of the Lord will come suddenly. We, we know that. It, it really could be today. And I think we struggle to believe that. If it really could be today, it, it could be Tuesday at 4.15 in the afternoon. It really could. Now, do you ever notice in the Scriptures that, that they never encourage us to to ponder when Jesus returns, they always shut that door really quick, right? But, but rather to consider, are you ready for the return of Jesus? That's the question. Are you prepared? Is your hope in Jesus? And, and you see, the reason that James is reminding us that, that we're waiting for the return of the Lord and that, and that God is standing at the door, the judge is standing at the door, it's, it's really not about time at all here. It's, it's not specifically about when, but rather who is coming and what he's going to do. That's what he wants to remember who is coming and what he's going to do. And, and James knows in our suffering that, that we need to deeply know that there is indeed justice, even if we don't see it. That, that there is healing that will come, even if it doesn't seem soon. That we need to know that God is actually truly reigning on the throne and that he is going to come and set all things right, that he hasn't simply forgotten. Because if that is true, you, you and I know we, we can endure longer. We can endure more. Now, I was uh, reading David Gibson recently as he summarized the gospel so beautifully. You ever, if you've ever done this, right, just try to summarize the gospel in some two sentences. He does it in ten words. Here's how he does it. God made it, we broke it, and Jesus fixes it. 
I think it's that last part sometimes we, we struggle with because we think, you know what, I'll fix it. Jesus is too slow, and he doesn't fix it the way I think he should fix it. So just step out of the way, and, and I'll take care of that. We, we struggle with that. We have, that's why we are often so impatient. We're just bad at waiting for God to fix things. Now, this Greek word patience, and you see it in verses 7 and 8, it, it carries this idea of being long-tempered, right? You don't quickly get mad. That's the opposite of what J James talked about earlier, right? The short temper. Um, it, it's actually most often used in Scripture regarding God's attitude towards you and I, that he's long-tempered, that he's patient, right? Despite the, the many reasons that we actually provide for God to be irritated at us as his people, he's actually not. Long-suffering. And, and James is teaching us here how to wait for, for something that is simply out of our control. Just, just look at the example he uses in verse 7. You, you see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? Now you and I are like, okay, kind of know what farmers do, but James' original audience, he, they understood Middle Eastern agriculture with a, a great deal of, of, uh, of accuracy. They, they, they know, right, that there are uh, two main raining seasons. One, one is just after they have planted into the ground and another one that would come later before the harvest and that second one was really significant so that things would grow and, and actually produce things uh, before harvest time. They, they, so as they're hearing this, as they're hearing James say this, they, they can feel the temptation towards incredible anxiety that the farmer feels in that moment. That he feels as he, he actively nurtures his crops, as he watches them grow, as he's pulling weeds, as he's praying and hoping that bugs don't devour them, as he's praying to God to, to actually bring rain from a, a season that doesn't have much rain to begin with. Fully knowing, right? They don't, they don't know what an irrigation system is. They don't have one of those. And, and crop insurance isn't even going to be invented until 1938, so that's, that's not on their list of opportunities. They, they also know that despite it all, that the farmer doesn't lose hope. They have an understanding of, of how the seasons tend to work. Even if it's dry for a long time, they know that second set of rainy season is, is, should be on its way. He knows that in, in due time, his patience will be rewarded with a bountiful harvest. Now, the farmer's just an illustration. It's not really the point here. And the farmer's showing us uh, far more, something far more significant than crops. It, you know, we, we Christians are also farmers, farmers of faith. We, we sow the seed of the gospel of, of God's word, and we've done so in the hearts of each other, right? And, uh, and maybe right now you're, you're facing a drought of your own. The, the, the world that, that we are growing in feels incredibly harsh. It feels maybe like God doesn't hear your prayers, and, and maybe you think that because they seem to be going unanswered right now. Pain persists in this life. You, you look around you, and evil seems to be flourishing, and in these moments, we're a lot like that farmer mid-season. Will, will God actually send the rains that we need? Will He? It's in the midst of those doubts and fears that James remind us of the greater harvest that awaits, namely that the Lord Jesus is indeed coming. Right? The rains are coming. That our, our, our struggles, no matter how office, no matter how endless they seem, are indeed actually temporarily. Temporary. And, and, and so James wants you not only to endure, but he wants for your, grow, your, 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 your faith to actually grow during this season. And I think that's where we struggle often, is we just want to sit and do absolutely nothing. But even waiting for the next rains is a growing period. 
Uh, Christian, I, I, I need you to know that you, you don't live as if Jesus is not coming. Don't live like that's reality because it's not reality. It's not true. And so faithfully work to, to build his kingdom. Trust that your king will, will come when the time is right and he will put all things right. As we read in Psalm 37, 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. We wait patiently for the Lord. And in verse 8, James repeats the, the imperative, be patient. And, and then he adds a, a means to that in there, right? He says, establish your hearts. That's one of the ways we, we be patient. The, the idea here is, is stability. That establish your hearts. A, a strong stance. If you've seen a little infant's walk, you know they, they kind of do that thing where they look like they're going to topple at any, any moment. They're so incredibly unstable. And yet as children grow, right, they... Uh, they, they mature, their steps become steady, they become solid and uh, stable as they walk. You, you, you might picture the, the soldier standing firm, ready for batter, battle, prepared for it, actually. That sort of stands. And, and again, James points to the return of Jesus being the reason that our hearts can be established. You, you can endure when you know something or someone strong is going to come and fight alongside you, or, or rather, to be more accurately, going to come along and fight for you. And so do stay strong. Now, now James' next exhortation in verse 9 seems to come out of nowhere. It doesn't seem to fit in this passage. You have a look. Uh, do not grumble against one another. Don't complain against one another. Well, what does complaining have to do with patience at all? Now, let, let's go back to the car ride I mentioned before, right? Little children riding in cars, and, and, and it's less so now because you have a whole entertainment center in the car, but I'm thinking before the Nintendo Switch, before even the Game Boy came into existence, uh, I'm talking back in the era when, when you'd wake up in the back of a car laying down like it's a bed and uh, have no idea how you got there because someone carried you there while you were asleep, right? Uh, and, and you're not wearing a seatbelt because no one wore seatbelts in that day. Now, those vacation trips in that era, they, they always seemed endlessly long. Again, with that question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And later in the day, you know, sitting up, you'd, you'd get impatient and grumpy because you've been in a car all day waiting and you take it on your sister with an elbow to her side, and, and she's yelling, stop hitting me, and the only for, you know, the, the next thing you do, if, you, if anyone is from this era knows this, right, you do the finger thing, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. Now, one of the things that would occur there, right, is, is dad becomes grumpy too, and I, and I don't know where uh, the generations of fathers that I grew up in learned this, but they all seem to know it, they learned it somewhere, right, that, that empty threat that every single one of them made, I will turn this car around, and we will go home. You kind of believed him as children, as an adult. You're like, no, you wouldn't. You spent so much on gas to get this far. You have reservations. There's no way we're turning around. Right? But we didn't know that. Now, we, we, we don't handle waiting well. We don't handle stress well. We don't handle frustrations well. When, when you are under pressure at work, when, you're, when your nights are sleepless, when things do not go the way that you think they should go, the way you want them to go, when you are frustrated, who gets the brunt of your frustrations? It's the people you're closest to. Who are you complaining to and about, right? You're, you're complaining and about your family, your best friends. We, we have this tendency even to blame others for our miseries. Even when they're not connected at all. We just do that. We, we say things we don't mean or just things that are mean. We, we speak 
impulsively and rashly to, to one another and about one another, as the saying goes, right? Hurt people hurt people. And frustrated people are hurt people. They lash out. Now, now Gibson again, in his book Radically Whole, says this. He says, one of the greatest tests of faith in God is the behavior of other believers. And he explains that. For some of us, that's very strange to hear. For others, that is exactly our pain, the behavior of other believers. You've been bitten and damaged by other believers. You are sore and your wounds are real. You've ended up more bruised and disillusioned at the hands of some of Christ's people than from the enemies of the gospel. We're so prone to lash out at each other. And the Lord, through this letter of James here, wants us not to do that. He wants you not to do that. James knows that complaining is the natural response to our, our, our you know, impatient frustrations. And so he calls me and he calls you to this supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered response instead. It's rather simple. Do not grumble. That means complain. I know we don't use that word often, right? But do not grumble against one another. And he adds that motivation so that you will not be judged. Now, now most of our grumbling is really us standing in the place of, of judge and judging others, isn't it? We rarely look up at someone when we're judging. We're mostly looking down on them. I'm here and I judge things perfectly and you're wrong for this reason and my life would be easy if you do things this way. Uh, and, and that's the way we do it. We condemn them. And, and James, you know, gives us this subtle reminder then, right? In the way that you judge, you're, you're going to be judged. That, that's what Jesus says as well, right? In the opening verses of chapter 7 of Matthew and the, the last few verses of Matthew 12, you know, the... But, but listen, this, this is not about salvation. I think we read these judgments and we're like, that can't be what it means. Let's just throw it out. It means absolutely nothing uh, because it can't be about salvation. And, and, and it's not about salvation, right? If, if your faith is in Jesus, your salvation is secure in what Jesus has done for you. Not whether you complain about your brothers and sisters in Christ or not. But, the, but there is a judgment still. And, and what we see in Scripture is, is the way that we judge others is going to shape the way that we are judged. And that's a whole other topic we're not going to go into today. But, but that's what James is talking about. So, so let that reality shape the way that you judge and the way you complain uh, against others, or, or rather don't judge or complain against others. Now in, in verse 10, James gives the prophets to us as this example of suffering and patience. In the next verse, uh, Job is also given as an example, and, and he's, you know, the farmer's been an example, right? Why give these examples at all? Well, particularly these last two, the prophets and Job, it's because in our own stories, you and I can't see what God's doing very often. You know, maybe way down the road for you, way down the road, right, you can look back and maybe see something, but we generally don't see what God is doing in our stories. But in these biblical examples, we do see what God has done, and it helps us to understand that God has a purpose, right? You see it at the end. He had a purpose, even if it didn't make sense to us. Uh, as Andy Jimmel says, um, so much better, he says, we do not learn from suffering what God is doing in suffering. We learn from the Bible what God is doing in suffering. And, and, and this is, you know, difficult to accept, but, but true. You, 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 need, you need not know the reasons that you suffer to be able to trust that God does indeed have a reason for your suffering. I think you really need to know that, believe that, particularly when you're in the midst of suffering. Because a lot of times we're like, if I can't think of why this is a good purpose for this, there must not be one. And, and that's just not true. Now, now th these examples show that suffering is also not a judgment of God upon you. If and when you suffer, it is not because God has failed to love you or care about you. 
Uh, it's not punishment or anything like that. But both the prophets and Job were loved by the Lord and they themselves loved the Lord. And, and finally, one of the things we learn from these examples is that suffering is not easy. It's not easy at all, but it's also nothing new. Christians have faced suffering and in life that is a well-worn path of the Christian walk. We will face suffering. You're not alone on that path. Now, James does not list any specific prophets here, which leaves it open. We're going to go through every single prophet now. Just kidding. Uh, it really could be any of the prophets, though, right? It could be Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, uh, because they all suffered. Most of them were, were suffering under the angry, angriness of others that didn't like the things they're proclaiming, right? Come back with better news. I don't like that, right? Uh, uh, and, and yet they continue to trust God, and they remain faithful to their calling, and they continue to proclaim the message that God has given them, regardless of the response, regardless of the suffering that comes with it. And the encouragement here is that you also remain faithful to the Lord even in the midst of whatever suffering you face, even in the midst of whatever is really challenging your own patience. And then our, our finally, final verse today is similar to what James said back in, in chapter 1, verse 12 of James. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Only here, if you look, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Suffering becomes a blessing to us. It does only when we do not resent God for our suffering. Uh, when, we be, when we through it learn to trust God as we, we consider, you know what, God is using this for some good in my life. He's developing something in me. He's growing my faith. He's, he's doing something good for me and I don't like it, but it's good for me. Now the term translated steadfast twice in verse 11 is this idea of being able to endure a heavy burden. You might think of uh, the weightlifter who lifts that huge thing that looks cartoonish over their head, right? And, and they can only lift that much over their head, you know, more than you and I can because they've actually trained for it. They have suffered through that many times before you see them on the stage performing uh, that, right? They have endured it and grown and strengthened through that. And again, James gives an example, right? He points to Job. He says, be patient and steadfast, you know, like, like Job. Now, if you're familiar with Job, you might be thinking, really? Like, like Job, Job? That's the Job you mean? Because, you know, right, have you actually read Job, James? Because Job didn't silently or solemnly show patience. You and I tend to think of that as patient, right? We just sit there quietly, endure it, and, and that's what it looks like. But James, I mean, not James, but Job complained a lot Right? He cursed the day of his birth. That's a bit dramatic, although it was really rough on him. I mean, listen to Job 3.1. Let the day perish on which I was born. And he just goes on and on from there. In chapter 7, he's asking God that question that everyone who suffers asks, Why me, God? Right? He asks specifically, why, why am I your target? Why are you after me? And... and in Job 7.11, he just puts it out there. Like, if you're like, are you sure James complained? Listen, he says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. That's a quote. And he does just that. And maybe you hear that, right? You hear, hear Job or, you know, that, and you're like, okay, Job, Job's the example I can follow. That one I like. I can do that. Listen, in, in, in Job, we do not see this idealized picture of patience. It's not like that. What we are seeing in Job is a real picture of a real man with real suffering. And he complained and he asked why, but do you know what else Job did? And, and this is why James is using you and is wanting you to look at Job rather as an example. Because Job endured. 
Job continued to live his life. Job never stopped loving, never stopped obeying the Lord, even in the midst of his complaining, even in the midst of his questions. It's a little, a, a little bit like running. Um, I know some of you like running. I can see you already smiling here because you like running. Um, those of you that like running are weird. You just are. And the rest of us know it and you don't. Um, most of you are probably more like me. At best, you have this love-hate relationship with running. You're like, I like to do it when I'm not doing it. Um, I know Peggy and Emily recently ran a half marathon that's so impressive and miserable sounding at the same time. Uh, if you've ever run a race, though, you, you just know that at some point you have this internal grumbling, this, this about the pain, right? I can't breathe, I'm going to die. You see the hill coming up and you just... You know, you just want to curse God for making the world that way. Why is there a hill here? Um, you, you're so annoyed at, at that guy that's yelling at you to keep going while he, you know, is sipping his ice mocha. Um, but, but you keep going, right? Even in the midst of all that pain and frustration, you, you endure because you know that the end is going to come. You endure even in the practices because you know it's, it's making you stronger. It's preparing you to be able to go further, to, to go faster, to, to do it more, right? It makes you stronger. As Paul said in Romans 5.3, right? We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And it does. And, and some of us just need to realize endurance is valuable. We just need to realize that it's actually valuable. And, and so Job trusted the Lord would bring his suffering to an end. At some point, you do too. We, we, we know that the Lord will return. We, we trust that. And we know that in His return, every, everything gets put right, which means our suffering goes away. Now, in the midst of it all, right, in Job 19.25, he expresses his faith saying this. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. In other words, He's there. He's still my Redeemer. He's still on the throne. His plan is going as according to plan, His plan, not mine. And in other words, God will redeem me. Better, better days are ahead. And in Job's story, we, we, we can see that while his, his suffering was intensely painful, that it's not the end of his story. We can see the whole thing, and that's part of it. You can't see your whole story. Now, now Job shows us that there is purpose in the suffering, and, and that in the end, as, as James says, right, the, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You need to remember that when you're in your suffering, and you, you want to question that about God. So how do we apply this passage, right? I mean, some of it's blatantly obvious, right? Establish your hearts. Do not grumble against each other. Be patient, right? Uh, Margaret Thatcher once said, um, I can't do her accent, but I really want to. Uh, I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. I think most of us can agree with a statement like that. Um, it's when we don't get our own way or when it doesn't go as quickly as we want it to go that we really begin to struggle with patience, right? Or any opportunity to actually need patience, that's when we struggle. You know, what, what if you're in the, the midst of it all right now and, and you don't know how it's going to end? That's, that's part of the struggle. Is there, is there an area in your life right now where, where you're like the farmer, you know, gazing up at the sky, just hoping for rain, hoping to see the cloud of, of, of hope coming? 
I'll ask you, do do you really believe the rain is coming? Do, Do you trust the absolute sovereignty of God even in your specific suffering. And I ask that because if you do, you can know there's a purpose. This isn't a mistake. It isn't random. It, it is for your good right now that you are suffering. It is for the glory of God right now. And, and you can and you will endure. You need to know that. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Bridges wisely wrote, the cure for impatience with the fulfillment of God's timetable is to believe His promises Obey his will and leave the results to him. And for you that are walking that path of, of suffering right now, um, you need to know that you, you don't have to walk alone. You've got brothers and sisters in, in Christ in this room and even outside of this room that will walk with you and the Lord walks with you. And you need to remember, right, that the Lord is coming. He will fix everything that is broken. And so we continue to endure. We continue to Obey the Lord, seek the Lord, rest in the Lord. And, and I just want to close then with the, the words of Revelation 22.20, which means so much to us in, the, in our suffering. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, let us pray. Merciful Father, we, we ask for patience, just as the, the farmer patiently waits for the precious harvest, for the rain. And so teach us to trust in your perfect timing, knowing that your plans are greater than our own. And, and please strengthen our hearts to endure difficult seasons by making us to truly believe that you are working all things together for our good. And, and, and may we find comfort in knowing that our sufferings are not in vain, but rather they are shaping us into the vessels of your glory in the way that you desire us to be shaped. Lord, we confess then that, that we have often grumbled and complained when things have not gone our way. Forgive us for ever doubting your goodness. Help us to develop an an unnatural spirit of thankfulness. And our moments of doubt remind us of Job and the prophets who endured and were ultimately blessed by your faithfulness. Help us to keep our our focus on the eternal rather than being consumed by temporal things. As we expectantly wait for your return, Lord, fill our hearts with joy and anticipation. May, May all our days be a testimony of your love and your grace and the hope we have in the gospel. We, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who is our perfect example in patience and endurance. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.